doing, Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle? I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. This week we're going to talk about the 2020 Winter NAMM show that just completed in Anaheim, California. I don't want to tell you how many NAMM shows I've been to, but it's been quite a lot. And I've seen things change over the course of time, and I have to say this one was one of the best. There's a lot of reasons why that's the case, but let's just take an overview of the show in general. The mood was great. You get the feeling that everybody in the business is making money. Now, it wasn't perfect in that all of the booths weren't filled, and there were some obvious spaces on the floor, but that being said, the overall mood was pretty positive. This year, NAM changed everything a little bit in terms of the layout. As usual, Hall A was audio, but it wasn't totally audio. It was, oh, maybe a quarter studio, a quarter sound reinforcement, and the other half was all lighting. So that was a big change from years before. The other big change was Hall B was all orchestral instruments, so it was really quiet. It was kind of nice. Hall C was all percussion. And Hall D was all guitars. That was by far the loudest of them all. Like I said before, there were fewer booths that were occupied, and there were quite a number of what used to be large exhibitors that were somewhat scaled down. The one I can think of in particular that jumped out at me was SSL. SSL had a rather small booth. It was effective, but it was small as compared to what they used to have. More on what they showed in a little bit. There was also more food on the show floor. So there were quite a number of spaces where you could get cappuccino or you can get a bite to eat. That was kind of nice for a change. It also took up some space, so it wasn't as obvious that there weren't as many exhibitors there. I think in general, what we found was there was a lot more sound reinforcement than studio exhibitors. Once upon a time, it was just flipped the other way, where... Yes, there are a fair amount of sound reinforcement, but it was far more populated by the studio side of things. And now where we have more smaller software developers that are kind of dominating that section, they're in much smaller booths rather than hardware distributors. And of course, sound reinforcement is still hardware-based, so there are far more of those. Kind of an interesting switch. The other thing that was interesting, I don't know in a good way, There was a lot of companies that were reinventing the wheel from the 80s. And what I mean is, especially on the guitar and amplifier side, there were a lot of companies that were still trying to build the ultimate Marshall or the ultimate Stratocaster or Les Paul. The big problem is that today's guitar players don't really care about that stuff. So these are small companies, in many cases they're startups, that are catering to a dwindling audience And, of course, they're not being replaced by new players that much care. So I kind of worry about that, and I would imagine that next year we'll see far fewer of those companies. As usual, Hall E in the convention center was filled with what we like to call the mad inventors. So you usually see some very unusual examples of everything musical. There weren't too many of those this year, surprisingly enough. The one that really stuck out was called a Lumitone. It was a microtonal keyboard, and all the keys were shaped in a lit hexagon. It was very unusual. But Hall E is now populated by mostly acoustic guitars, and that part of the business seems to be thriving. 
even on the high end, everyone there seemed to be doing very, very well. Although there are some Pro Audio products in Hall A, primarily Universal Audio, who still maintains probably a primo place there, all of what you might call professional audio is found in the North Hall. This is a new hall. It's only the third year it's been open. It was a former parking lot of the Hilton. And there's two floors. There's an upstairs and a downstairs. The downstairs is a lot more populated and just a little on the crazy side. Upstairs was fairly quiet. And there was a lot of speaker manufacturers up there and they liked the fact that it was quiet. Now, we're not talking strictly studio here. It's studio and sound reinforcement. And I would say it was probably 50-50 in terms of the exhibitors. So, let's get to products. By far, the biggest buzz of the show goes to Universal Audio's Luna. Now, I've complained year after year after year. There hasn't been a big new product. There hasn't been anything that really struck up a big buzz. But Luna really did that this year. What is Luna? Well, for years now, people have been kind of begging Universal Audio to come out with the Digital Audio Workstation, hoping that, in fact, it might overthrow Pro Tools. Well, if that was you, you got your wish. Luna is more of an analog environment, though. Actually, it's not analog gear so much as it's analog flavored. So Luna basically has four components. The first component is very, very tight integration with Apollo hardware. This only works on Apollo or Arrow Universal Audio hardware. But what it will give you is near zero latency recording. And that's a big thing, especially if you want to record with plugins, which a lot of people do. The second part of it is there's a built-in console emulation. And it's the emulation of, oh, a 60s, 70s Neve, especially those with the 1073 summing amps which are very famous for their harmonic content that's very pleasing to the ear. So that's now built in to Luna. The third part is probably the most exciting and is also the one that we saw the least of, at least in the demos. And that's the digital audio workstation part. What they really pushed in this case was the fact that it's going back to a tape sound and there was a lot of tape saturation features in this, but really what we're talking about is a digital audio workstation that you can record right into. It looks a lot like Logic, although it's laid out a little bit easier, I think, especially for someone who's not a Logic user. It doesn't seem to be complete, and as a result, Luna is not going to be available until sometime in the spring, and the release date was kind of nebulous. But that being said, it's a step in the right direction. I don't think by any stretch of the imagination that it's going to be a Pro Tools killer, especially when it comes to anything other than music. This was a digital audio workstation that was for music and probably wouldn't work at all in post. The fourth part of Luna is something that I kind of never thought that Universal Audio would get into, and that's virtual instruments. First thing they did is they modeled a Steinway B piano, and the samples that I heard were dynamite. Now, of course, this is in a crowded, actually a very crowded exhibition hall, but it still sounded great. They also, in conjunction with Moog, had a very nice virtual mini Moog. And then finally, there was an array of other samples that came from vendors like Spitfire Audio. So it was a total suite, and that's what you get with Luna. The good thing is, if you're an Apollo user, you get it for free. The only time you have to pay is if you happen to want Studer A800 tape emulation, then there's an upgrade that you pay. 
But otherwise, if you own an Apollo or an Arrow, guess what? You get it for free when it comes out. Here's the downside. It has to be a Thunderbolt Apollo. It won't work on the older versions that are based on USB. So that's the downside. If you're going to update, now is the time. I spoke about SSL before. One of the things that they showed was a series of very small interfaces. There's two of them, actually. And the interfaces had a couple of preamps in them, SSL 4K preamps. Don't know what they sound like. They look pretty good. They look pretty solid. Not too expensive. $299 was the price of the one. I don't know what the other one was. SSL is definitely going down market, as we've seen. Last year, they came out with the 6 console, or little mixer. And I don't think it's a bad strategy, but it looks like they're going down market to try to get more entry-level users. As you heard here recently, Radio came out with their HDI, which is kind of a next-level direct box. It has an optical compressor in it, and it has a way that you can provide color. So where the JDI, which is kind of the standard that all direct boxes are measured by, that's kind of colorless and will give you the sound of your instrument. This will give you color along with the sound of the instrument. It's a lot more expensive, $7.99, but if you're looking for color, this is the one. There are a lot of podcast-oriented products. A lot. Which makes you think that everyone thinks that podcasting is going to be the next big thing. I'm not so sure that that's the case, to be honest with you. I think it is now, but I can tell you after 300 podcasts myself that it does take some commitment to do and not everybody is willing to do it. So this may be a temporary bump in the product cycle for many exhibitors, but you're going to see more and more podcast products coming out. One of the things that I was really happy to see were a lot of new acoustic products. Isoacoustics is one company, Studio Blocks, which makes these portable blocks that you can build your own studio out of. That was kind of cool. Another one that actually I saw last year, but it looked like they were more and more around the show, something called Air Hush and their inflatable sound attenuation blocks. They look like bubble pad in between two pieces of plexiglass, but they're modular so you can build up a wall, and it's pretty good in terms of the amount of sound rejection. It's somewhere around 30 dB, which is great. So look for more of those. I'm very happy to see more acoustic products that are coming out that are dealing with isolation rather than acoustic control. So we're beginning to see that. Warm Audio, wonderful manufacturer of, I don't want to say clones, but lookalikes is more like it. Have some great products at very, very good prices. They came out with two this time. One was an emulation, a clone of the SSL bus compressor. They just call it the bus comp. I listened to it a little bit on the floor. It didn't sound exactly like a SSL, but it sounded pretty good. And like most warm audio products, they're not exactly like what they look like. In other words, their 87 doesn't sound exactly like an 87, but you know what? It gets you in the ballpark. And sometimes that's all we want. Warm Audio also came out with a series of DIs, both an active DI and a passive DI. And these were built around Cinemag transformers. Now, of course, the gold standard has been Jensen Transformers, but Radial now owns Jensen, so I don't think a deal was easy to make. Cinemag are much more available. Maybe the most bizarre product of the show was something by Reflector Audio, 
And this is a speaker system called the Bespoke. Now, if you can imagine this, it contained a rather large cabinet with four 18s that were diagonally placed facing one another. Okay, that's weird enough. On top of that were four more 18s side by side, and they were facing away from the listener. And in the middle of these 18s was a horn. Very bizarre looking. You know what? It actually sounded pretty good, and it even sounded good at low levels. That being said, they were $70,000 for a pair, and that was a show special. Although it does include the amplifiers and one of their people to come out and install and tune the system to your room. That's Reflector Audio. I was really happy to see Austrian Audio finally become an exhibitor. Now, if you recall, on my podcast, mm, maybe two years ago, the founders of Austrian Audio came on to tell their story. This is actually AKG. If you recall, the whole AKG factory was let go by Harman. Harman had bought the AKG brand. AKG was still up and running in Vienna, and then they were all fired. Well, in an unusual move, they managed to get most of the people together and then get the money to actually restart the company as Austrian Audio. And they came out with their first microphone and a bunch of headphones. The microphone is sort of like a new version of a 414. In this case, they called it an OC818. The interesting part about this, it's microprocessor controlled. But what's controlled by the microprocessor is the pattern. So that's very interesting. Everything else about it is analog. Didn't get a chance to hear it. And then again, even if you hear it on a show floor, you can't really tell much. But it's good to have Austrian audio back. Mac DSP had something that I also thought was interesting. It was called the APB16 Analog Processing Box. This gave you 16 channels of analog processing. The difference is the way it was interfaced with your digital audio workstation was the analog was coming up as a plug-in. So it looked like a normal plug-in, but instead of the digital processing that we're used to, it was going out to the analog world in this box. So that was pretty interesting. It was fairly expensive. I think it was like 5000 bucks. Down in Hall E, there was another kind of cool thing. It was the Voyage Audio Spatial Mic. If you're familiar with the sound field mic and ambisonics, this is all built around a four-capsule microphone and a tetrahedral suspension. In this case, with Voyage Audio, they used eight capsules, so it seems like it should be a bit more precise. That being said, couldn't really tell when listening to the demo. I'd like to hear it more in the future. This next product won't mean anything to you unless you're actually doing surround sound or immersive audio. Trans Audio, with my friend Brad Lundy, came out with a speaker stand specifically for overhead speakers. One of the problems that we all have when we want to do immersive audio is, of course, there's overheads involved. So how do you get those up there? Well, with an expensive truss. This actually takes the place of that and allows you to get the speakers way up in the air. And again, you know you can't just put them on a mic stand, especially good-sounding full-range speakers. So there's no price in these yet, but they're going to be pretty cool. Speaking of immersive audio, there is a lot of immersive around. It wasn't quite as extensive as I had hoped, but it was there nonetheless. 
On the sound reinforcement side, we had L Acoustics with their Eliza system, and we also had Digico on their brand new consoles that were showing versions of that as well, which is pretty cool. Then Trans Audio had an ATC speaker demo in Atmos, which is pretty cool. Focal had one as well. Genelec had another one. There's quite a number of immersive audio displays and exhibitions. Now, that being said, I did hear some mixes that were great, and I heard others that were just unbelievably bad. There was one in particular done by a somewhat famous DJ, where he had the kick drum in the rear speakers and the snare in the front, (laughs) and everything sounded disjointed and just off. So you can do this well, and you can do it not so well. And speaking more of immersive... I was in charge of the studio portion of the AES Academy again this year. This is a somewhat slimmed down program. It started off with Jonathan Weiner, who is Master Engineer at MWorks. He was on the show, I don't know, six months ago. He's also the Educational Director at Isotope and Professor at Berkeley College of Music and more recently the President-Elect of the AES. And he gave a wonderful presentation about artificial intelligence in audio and how it's actually working in so many different areas, many that we're aware of and many that we're not. Then, as far as immersive is concerned, we had Gary Epstein and Lon Neumann who gave an immersive audio primer. We got a primer on how we got to immersive audio. The fact that immersive audio started way, way back before 5.1. In fact, it was at Fantasound in 1939 when the first immersive audio display actually happened, believe it or not. But Gary gave us a very good primer on what Dolby Atmos actually is and how it could be used. Sylvia Massey then came in and gave a wonderful exposition on unusual microphones. I don't know if you know, but she's doing a brand new book. It's going to be the ultimate book on microphones and she most recently bought a collection of over a thousand microphones including some of the rarest on the planet i also spoke i gave a presentation on the five steps to distribute promote and make money from music streaming then a little bit later did a music mixing crash course for the time organization and this was mostly for high school educators on thursday i was on a panel that indie power put on all about, again, making money with music. And then, in a very, very cool presentation, I got to interview producer Ken Calais, and Ken has been on this program as well. Ken, of course, was one of the producer engineers on the big Fleetwood Mac albums, and this particular panel was all about Tusk. It was the 40th anniversary. Ken just came out with a brand-new making-of book all about Tusk, and he played some wonderful outtakes from both Rumors, Fleetwood Mac's Rumors and Tusk, and we just all had a great time. It was very cool. So that was my AES. It was very, very full. I think for everyone, it was one of the better ones in so many ways. I never heard anything negative from anyone about the business in general, except that it's changing, but it does all the time. It's evolving at a faster pace than perhaps it ever has. But that being said, it is changing, and in many cases, much for the better. So, all good for us. You can look forward to a really great year in 2020 on the gear side of things, and I think also on the business side of things. 
Not so sure what will happen the year after that when we get to 2021, but 2020 looks like it should be looking up. So thanks for taking the ride with me to NAM. I have some great guests coming up, and you're really going to enjoy this year in my Inner Circle podcast because the guests keep on coming, and they're always really good and they're always really interesting. As always, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyownercircle.com. And again, as always, don't forget about my online courses on mixing, production, and music business success at bobbyosinskicourses.com. To listen to other episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyownercircle.com, or you can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyownercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-up form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. Bye.